We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Tuesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio here this morning. We're going to talk to Denson Hollis. CEO of the Ole Miss Athletic Foundation. We're going to talk about uh, facilities. We're going to talk about the uh, the new Empower program, part of the Vault Society that benefits women athletes at the University of Mississippi. We're going to hit a lot of different ways that they are um, combating donor fatigue, the uh, the world of fundraising in 2023, and almost a, a year on the job in that position for Denson at this point. So we'll discuss that with him coming up on the My Perfect Franchise Hotline here in a bit. We do. I'll tell you about. The Oxford Exxon, the Blue Sky location here locally in Oxford. You know about the lunch specials, the two sides of the bread, the any size fountain drink. Get the big one because there's no reason not to. You can also do the 49-cent Phillips on your fountain drinks. They've got the uh, the ribs, the lunch specials, and more. And then in Brookhaven and Clinton, you get the homemade donuts every single morning. Take advantage of those at those two locations. It's going to be spread out throughout Mississippi here soon. But if you're in Brookhaven, if you're in the Jackson Metro, stop into Clinton and get fresh donuts every single day. And again, coming to you from the Clark Ford studio. We are Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote. And the rest is up to you. You can chop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. Denson Hollis and all other guests join on the MyPerfectFranchise.net hotline. If you're a displaced corporate executive or you're wanting to put your career in your own hands, maybe you're an experienced entrepreneur simply looking to diversify. Either way, Andy Ludicky can help. He owns multiple franchises and businesses and uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy. Put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free. You have nothing to lose. Find your perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net or contact Andy at andy at myperfectfranchise.net or call his cell phone 404-973-9901. 
I, I got up this morning, and I don't guess I noticed it yesterday, but uh, it is the uh, 79th anniversary of one of the most courageous, brave days in our country's history, D-Day, June 6th. 79 years ago, and I, Neil, I've never seen this. Uh, I saw it this morning, so I'm just pointing this out for anybody else. Is We all know about Dwight D. Eisenhower's speech he gave um, with the troops, and he had the quote of, the eyes of the world are upon you. Um, pretty obviously famous line there. But I did not know that he had written another speech in case it didn't work. Had you heard that? Um, did you know this? Yes. I, yeah. I've seen this at the uh, World War II Museum in New Orleans, which, by the way, um, is absolutely worth a day. Time. It takes a full day. Take the day. It takes a full day, and it's worth it. It's somber. It's worth it. Um, I know when you're in New Orleans, sometimes you just think party, 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 and I, I'm guilty of the same. Um, it's 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 worth doing. So on a scrap piece of paper, essentially preparing for the worst, just in case, because you think about the the gravity of this decision. He wrote, "My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available." The troops, the air, and the Navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. Leadership. Yeah, you know, I've always thought about him. What those, you know, I, I like to read about the presidency. You know that. Um, it can, it is interesting, uh, different men who have been in that office have called it the loneliest place on earth. Mm -hmm. um, different people have said, you know, I never felt that or whatever, but a lot of the, the predecessors did. So it tells me that probably some validity to that. I can't even imagine what those, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours after the decision was made to go, what those must have been like for him. Because no, he wasn't, getting in the water he wasn't going to but he'd certainly seen war before he knew what was coming he knew that he had just sent a lot of boys to their death mm -hmm. and I in best case he was killing thousands of his own troops yes thousands of boys from america he was he knew knocks were coming on doors telegrams were coming in the you know in the mail i mean that that was I can't even imagine what that would feel like. And they were convinced they did the right thing, and, and history certainly supports that. But, And then the other group of people that you can't help but think about, and I saw a picture of a man, he was there, who had fought at D-Day. He was back at Normandy, I guess today. Um, sitting in the ocean that night, knowing that, I got a, about a coin toss chance. Mm -hmm. I can't even, I, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, there are so many, there are so many pictures in the world where you get, you can feel what you're looking at in the boats, the, 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 the pictures of the, uh, of the soldiers in the boats. It just sends almost chills from, from me. Every time you see it, you go, Oh my God. Well, cause they look like, and the older you get, I look at them and they look like my son, mm -hmm. you know, as, as he gets to be close to that age, there were 18 year old boys on that boat. I mean, moms and dads back in Kansas and Nebraska and all over the place, not knowing 
just I can't even I can't even fathom it. And it it <laughs> I'll, I'll get off the soapbox. We no, we it it doesn't get taught nearly enough. It's not I'm not blaming teachers, but the gravity of it doesn't get taught the way that it probably ought to get taught. It's one of the, the you know, and it, I mean, it happens any 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 worldwide event. This eventually becomes the case. But one of the sadder things is that we are losing all those veterans. You know, hardly anyone's alive from that now. You know, it's, sure it's, they're all in their nineties, and they're most yeah. of them are gone. Yeah. Every time I see that a World War II veteran passes away locally or wherever, that's where my mind goes. Is we're losing everything that's firsthand of that of that event. Yeah, again, it's one of the reasons that museum is amazing is that there's there are a lot of firsthand accounts that were recorded for posterity's sake. It's, I mean, that whole that whole thing, World War II was. I mean, when you study it, it's it's incredible. I mean, Hitler was Hitler was an evil evil person and and he had an axis of of powers and i don't know it's what makes it you know, history repeats itself it's kind of what's a little i don't i'm not saying that we're on the precipice of something but some of the pieces are out there mm-hmm. and if anybody's curious we talked about this on the podcast years ago but we've got a lot of new listeners people who would have forgotten one of the top books on the president stuff the president's club if you want to read through one that would be a a it's one where they, they they assisted each other throughout the process in a in a hidden way that most people are not aware of. Um, but can it, can you imagine what those last twenty four hours were like for him? Once the decisions made, I mean, they debate the decision, they plan it out. There's the adrenaline of of the plan and all of those things, and and you're you're consulting with with the the, the people. You know, your your obviously your your military leaders, your spies, your intelligence community, all that stuff. But there comes a point where you have to actually do it. You ex- you execute the order, and then there's nothing more to do but wait. I mean, you can make the argument. It's a, I mean, I, I, consequential is not the right word. It's a more emotional decision than even dropping a bomb, right? Because it's your your guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, the decision to drop the bomb. I mean, very similar thing. You know that because you're changing the world scope of war at that point. Yeah, that decision was made with a pretty heavy heart, but it was made knowing that a land invasion was going to kill so many Americans that it just didn't make sense to do. But you knew that when you dropped a bomb, you were going to kill civilians. You were going to kill innocent people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always told you I think you have to be. Republican, Democrat, or anything else, you've got to be a little bit psycho to want that job. Yeah, because you don't know. Bill, there's a great quote from Bill Clinton, and he's at the George W. Bush Library, and they're talking about the presidency and stuff, and about being prepared to be president. And Clinton said, "You know, I watched." all of the debates between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And at no point in any of those debates did somebody say, hey, what are you going to do when Al-Qaeda blows up the World Trade Center? Mm-hmm. It was a great point. They had these you know, debates and 
Gore walked over and got in his face and all the stuff that happened, but at no point did they even remotely talk about what shaped Bush's presidency because we didn't know what was coming or we should have known and didn't, right? but, but we didn't just fascinating. It's a, I could read stuff about presidents for forever. You're into pretty much all parts of American history. What wars do you find yourself gravitating to the most to research or read about? World War II and then Vietnam a lot. Vietnam, really? Yeah, because that was my dad's generation. Okay. You know, they, they lost, you know, they had friends from Monroe that went over there and didn't come back. That was, that's a pretty interesting you get an idea of the American war machine. And then you start to kind of think about stuff that happens. And it, it makes you a little bit more conspiratorial. It's probably a weak spot of mine. I probably know less about that than the other war. And I'm not sure it's close. Um, I think the typical American is undereducated on World War One. Yeah. Because we all focus on World War Two more than one for whatever reason. And. One obviously shapes so many things around the world. Um, that's that, that 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 that's a that's a that's a weak spot in general. I feel like for our country, Carson's history class this year is AP U.S. history. It's, they call it a push um, because it's just a semester in this block system. They don't have the whole year. Mm-hmm. They they got into World War One pretty good. They kind of skirted past World War Two and just because they were in a hurry. Just got to get ready for those state tests, man. That's important. And uh, it's, again, I, I, I don't think we teach it the way it needs to be taught. I think, it, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we teach the American Revolution the way it needs to be taught. We've almost turned the American Revolution into a cartoon. That's literally the word I was thinking of was cartoon before you said that. That was absolutely the word I had in my mind. Yeah. We, now I'll give his class credit. Who I can't remember his teacher's name. She did a really good job of setting up the 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 American Revolution seventy years out. But man, it gets kind of it gets really glossed over, you know, like because it's there's no pictures of George Washington. You can't really picture George. <laughs> yeah. just, you just see this dude with a a white wig, you know, and and all gussied up and. Like the night that they crossed the Delaware, those cats were cold. They were hungry. They were frostbitten. They were tired. That was. And when you sign that Declaration of Independence, I know people are so mad at me right now. When, when you when you signed that Declaration of Independence, you signed a death warrant for you and your whole family in the event that you lost. Yeah, you went into a war for a greater purpose, knowing you. I mean. Everything has to go right to win. That's what's not taught correctly is how fortunate that was in so many ways. It was a, it was a monumental upset. It was I the mean, Citadel. UMBC over Virginia ain't got shit on that. Like, no, it's, it, it, it's, it's the it's, Citadel it's, beating Clemson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's Alabama State going into Tuscaloosa and pulling it off. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it, it was a, the English were tired. They they'd been fighting war after war after war. They as a as a as a civilization as a as a country they were worn out, and they didn't think 
They didn't understand it. It was ceremonial at first. It was kind of whatever. And then you look up and go, oh, hell. Yeah. There's a plan over here. And they had they made some really bad tactical decisions. And everything that could go right went right. You, you got the right help from the French because they're pissed off at this person over here. And it just sure. sort of. Sure. I mean. It's a lot you, ever been to, you ever been to Yorktown? No. When you're in Yorktown and you you look out on that field where the surrender happened and you think, man, just everything changed on that spot of land, you know, 250 years ago or whatnot. It's it's pretty powerful. I mean, well, I, it, I can't... It, it, it's back to your D-Day thing. It's only been 250 something years. Yeah. That's not a long time. No. I mean, we're not that far removed. No, I mean, it's. 80 years from not even, I mean, 79 years from D day. I mean, pretty, I don't know. I'm done. pretty done interesting American stuff. No, yeah, it's, just, well, I mean, you know, it's, I, I think, I think some <laughs> June 6th probably should be a, a national holiday. It's probably should be a, a day of respect at this point, but mm-hmm. way past that. Um, gonna go to Vincent in a few minutes. Uh, first, just a little heads up here from a logistical standpoint. The the portal is gonna get really active for baseball this week. I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Um, Ole Miss has its first visitor in today. Trayson Hughes, the Mercer outfielder, one of the top players in the portal. He hit three eighty nine, three eighty seven, something like that, with a bunch of home runs last year for the Bears. Uh, he had an OBP over five hundred. He slugged, I don't know, almost six hundred, something like that. Uh. Ole Miss and Tennessee appear to be the uh, the favorites from him, so the Rebels will try to get that locked up here today or tomorrow or whenever this visit concludes with him. But as, as teams are being eliminated, you're going to see more and more names. They're waiting on the seasons to end, so that's sort of where that's at here um, moving forward from from that standpoint. So it, the, the activity will certainly uh, start popping. I saw one of the top arms for Xavier got in the portal last night. Um Cooper Pratt, the uh, incoming Ole Miss player, draft dependent. His brother um, plays shortstop at BYU or middle infield at BYU. He's gotten into the portal. I have not gotten the sense that that is an, an Ole Miss favorite thing there. I, I, I'm still checking on it. I'm asking some people, but it doesn't sound like that is indicative of he and Cooper trying to play together at the next level. I think he's simply making the best decision wherever that may be for uh, Ozzie Pratt. Um, good name for a shortstop, by the way. He's um, yeah. And he might not know what his brother's going to do. Well, I mean, I don't think Cooper knows what he's going to do. You got a, you got a number out there, and they hit it, they don't hit it. You see where that where that stands at that point. So I don't know. Uh, yesterday, the SEC for the most part played pretty well. Florida won, um, LSU won, Kentucky won, A and M lost, and uh, setting up super regionals here. The list is Wake Forest, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. Texas and Stanford, LSU and Kentucky, Tennessee and Southern Miss, Virginia Tech and Duke, Oral Roberts and Oregon, and Indiana State and TCU. The SEC guaranteed two teams in Omaha as there are two matchups that are SEC-SEC, LSU against Kentucky and Florida, South Carolina, and then I guess technically three, four, four are possible, Wake Forest, Alabama, and uh, 
Tennessee Southern Miss on that. I do not have a location for that Southern Miss Tennessee series as of eight uh, thirty eight a.m. They're getting announced by the NCAA in twenty two minutes. So. If I'm the people in Omaha, I am the biggest LSU fan in the. Oh, history. you're just. I mean, you, it's all the purple and gold you got right now. It's that and Texas. Please God, beat Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two where they're staring, going, "Please, anything right there, just give me those." And Texas has been there so many times that they get a little bit like whatever. But LSU would be pretty geeked up to go, and I think they'll get there. I think LSU will will, will beat Kentucky. They'll take a ton of people, and Omaha will get bailed out. But Omaha watched some of the schools that it's. It, I mean, they they knew early on Ole Miss wasn't going to get there. They figured out pretty quickly Mississippi State wasn't going to get there. And anybody that and watched Arkansas, Arkansas loses. Yeah, yeah. They, anybody that was watching Arkansas knew Arkansas wasn't getting to Omaha. Um, those are those are teams they can count on to take everybody to Omaha. And LSU will take a huge crowd. Look, there's a lineup here that will be one of the worst attended College World Series in history. I mean, I could set us, I could set a, a lineup here where you go, oh God, who's going? This oh, is- let Florida beat South Carolina. Let let Kentucky beat LSU. LSU get. Indiana State in there, Stanford. Plenty of tickets yeah. available at that point. I mean, Wake Forest, just because it's a small fan base. Yeah, you're not selling lots of jello shots then. Mm-mm. I mean, it's it's Oregon and Oral Roberts aren't just going to pack it out. Frankly, you'd want Oral Roberts from a location standpoint. A little closer. Yeah, yeah a little just closer. But Go with it. Let it be again, what it not, is. Not buying lots of jello shots there either. <laughs> That was my <laughs> make them back in the hotel, maybe, but you're not buying them out there. Yeah, that was my. It was the it was the joke I for, kind of forgot to make is looking at some of the teams and in, in some of those regionals. They had like all the they had a bunch of the Christian schools all matched up in regionals together. It was like Oral Roberts and Dallas Baptist and whatever. And it's like, what are you guys doing uh, when you're when you're putting this thing together? Yeah, those those that's that place is going to be like, man, I miss Ole Miss this year. Uh, who are you kind of for? Uh, I've caught myself kind of cheering for Alabama. Um, I just think that's a, a, a good story. Um, for whatever reason, I kind of like Kentucky. I, I, I don't know. I'll watch them play a lot this year and I just kind of like their team. It's a little engine that could a little bit. I've kind of gotten behind them too. They play hard. They play well. They're solid. I don't like their chances this weekend. Uh, well, you um, start 0-1 and, and you have to win the other two games. And LSU's hitting right now. And boy, when they hit, they're they're just a rolling ball of butcher knives. Um, I think TCU's really good. They can really hit. Um, who am I? I for? think they're going to bust the Indiana State bubble. I do too. I think they'll pop them good. And that game, that series is in Fort Worth for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I I I. I, I I know it's cool to for everybody and everybody like who's listening to this is cheering against the SEC teams. I I don't. I kind of cheer for them. Um, I, I'd love. I to, want Southern to win. I want Scott Barry to go to Omaha. That would be a cool story. Southern Southern winning would be a cool story. Southern Miss winning the whole thing would be a really cool story. I don't I don't think they're good enough to pull that off. I just don't um, think they have enough pitching behind Tanner Hall. Yeah, I mean, there's, they threw him a lot this week, and I. You know the arm they needed to make that a reality is pitching for Florida now. Yeah, if you told me that it's I don't know how it patch, matches up, but if you told me we get a Florida LSU final, I'd totally buy it. 
I think if assuming they both win their series this weekend, if I was setting odds in Vegas, I think it's Florida or Tennessee. I think Tennessee is hell in that big ballpark. Yeah. And we I talked do. about it yesterday, uh, but but Tony's done a really good job with that team. You know, they they had a real dry stretch stretch middle of the year. They had a series at home where they lost two out of three. They went to Arkansas and got swept. And I think at that point they were like five and ten in the league. And they looked kind of they, they looked kind of dead in the water. If you watched, if you watched any of that series in Fayetteville, they they were not even particularly competitive that weekend. And um, they went eleven then, and four in the second half. Yeah, since then they just kind of turned it on. They they went to Vanderbilt after Fayetteville and swept, or maybe it was at home, mm-hmm. but they swept Vandy, and Vandy was a good team, and. Um, they just got rolling, and he—he he, we talked about it yesterday. He didn't—he didn't break the whip out on this team the way that he did a year ago. He was calmer, and and they've responded, and they're good right now. It's what showed you was so dumb, and I will move on, and nobody cares. Uh, when the umpire kicked out the Clemson player on Saturday night in that extra inning game against Tennessee, is it was their center fielder, one of their best players, and he's running in. And whatever he said was enough to get him ejected, but it wasn't even enough to make Tennessee react. And in real time, I laughed because I was like, had it been egregious enough, Tennessee would have rolled, guys. Like, don't worry. They would have shown up right there and gotten all hot and bothered. And, like, they just sort of shrugged it off. And I'm like, hold on a minute. There's no issue. Nobody's fighting. Tennessee's behaving. And you kicked out one of the better players in the extra innings of a a winner's bracket game? What are you doing? I mean, it it was an um show of all um shows. But yet here there we was, are. So. Yeah. There, there. It's the one thing that the college game's got to get better. I, someone asked yesterday in the stream, why does ESPN not do this, do, do that? Boy, the one thing that sticks out about the college game right now is the umpiring is shaky. Shaky. The strike zones are kind of everywhere and then nowhere. And they got to get that better. If 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 it's going to be a better TV product, it's got to be more consistent. I think because yeah. you want if if it's ever going to be, be mainstream, you've got to get the people who like to watch Major League Baseball to watch college baseball. Mm-hmm. And when you watch Major League Baseball, with rare exception, you can kind of count on the strike zone, so you sort of can follow the game better. It's there were some calls in in the in in the regional round that really impacted at bats and games and stuff and you're just like man you you guys got to get better at that mm-hmm. all right we'll talk to denson hollis coming up here on the my perfect franchise hotline so again Ole miss athletics foundation ceo denson hollis spring is in full swing summer's right around the corner heavenly sunshine property services would like to take the opportunity to remind you about the importance of taking care of your outdoor living spaces regular maintenance is the key to preserving the beauty and integrity of your home and business and one of the most effective ways to maintain your home is through power washing. Some of the key benefits include curb pill, damage prevention, creating a healthier environment, and also saves you time and money. They've been serving the Mid-South and Oxford for four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash, roof cleaning, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. Don't wait until it's too late. Contact Heavenly Sunshine today and get ready to enjoy a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. Visit the website at heavenlysunshine.com or call 662-342-1203 to book your free estimate. Use the code MPW10 for a 10% discount. Are you vacationing on Florida's Emerald Coast this summer? Whether you're staying from 30A to Pensacola Beach or anywhere in between, please check out Captain Lee Comerford with Salty Lab Charters. 
Licensed and insured, he offers custom excursions such as dolphin watching along Destin beaches, Crab Island sandbar experiences, and much more. He's an Ole Miss grad, an Air Force veteran, has more than 30 years of boating experience along Florida's Emerald Coast. All trips are private to your group, so check him out on Instagram or book today um, at saltylabcharters.com. Use the code REBELGROVE20 and you'll get 20% uh, off. Lee has indicated an incredible response during the May promotion. He's extended his code through the end of June. You can apply this code to any charter booked in 2023. Again, that's saltylabcharters.com. Lake Hill Motors in Corinth, Mississippi is a family-owned dealership. It's in operation for more than 60 years. have a service department with more than 100 years of combined experience. If you're looking for motorcycles, four-wheelers, side-by-sides, scooters, generators, wave runners, lawnmowers, Compact tractors and more. Lake Hill has it from Honda, Yamaha, Bobcat, Hyson, KO, and other name brands. Contact Michael McCullough in Corinth at 662-871-6918 or visit him in person at 2003 Highway 72 East Annex in Corinth. Mention that you heard about Lake Hill on the podcast and your first oil change on your new purchase is free. Walk-On Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine like po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers and fresh salads all in front of 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. You can also order online at walkons.com or on their convenient walk-ons app. Check them out in Oxford or Ridgeland today. The College Corner is your one-stop rebel shop. Two locations in the Jackson area in Ridgeland. Uh, the College Corner is next to Fleet Feet and Flowwood. It's next to Half Shell. If you don't live in Jackson, just go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. They have the largest selection of Rebel gear in central Mississippi. Podcast also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area and they offer MedSaint. Fear your prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you. One trip to the pharmacy, one delivery. You have everything you need when you need it with G&M. They also can transfer your medications easily. Again, one call, they take care of the rest. So no matter what you need from Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs or GNM in Oxford, let them help you out. That's 662-236-2222. Denson Hollis now joining us on the My Perfect Franchise Hotline. Denson, it's uh, the start of June, summer's upon us, all that good stuff. It'll, it, it'll be football before we know it, but what's, sort of, what, what's the summer like for you guys over at the Foundation? Well, it's uh, it's actually pretty busy. Um, our fiscal year ends June 30th, so this is a big time for us to push towards the end of the fiscal year. Um, obviously, the the grind of the athletic season is over, so we have a little bit more time to travel specifically for donors and not around games. But um, it's busy for us. Um, we we stay busy, and it's a good time to travel. Um, we, we've had another exceptional year at OMAF. Uh, we're right now we're about 44 million overall. Um, so we're a little bit behind last year, but we expected that, but it's been a great year so far, especially when you consider the climate of the, the changing landscape of college athletics, but we're busy. So, but we're excited. Yeah. You kind of said that. So I'll, I'll lead you there. And we're, we're, we're going to talk about some cool stuff here in a few minutes. We're talking about empower for uh, women's athletics and some different things that you guys are, are launching some initiative initiatives that you have going, but what do you what, what do you sort of make of it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on from your angle of talking to donors, of, of figuring out what that needs to look like. You've got, as you mentioned, NIL coming into complete focus. You've got the, you know, look, the economy has been kind of up and down and different things over the course of the last calendar year. And then you've got a 
an athletic season that definitely wasn't as successful overall as the one previous or the, la- or the previous before that. So you know, what do you sort of contribute those th- those things to? I mean, w- which of those things really matters, matters a little bit? I mean, how do you sort of gauge all the different factors? Yeah, I mean, everything comes into effect. Uh, college athletics is changing a lot. I mean, I know we talk about it all the time and y'all talk about it. Uh, the NIL world is – is probably the biggest change in college athletics ever. Um, you know, it's funny when we talk about fundraising and meeting with donors, the economy doesn't ever come up. It's uh, I'll, sometimes I almost have to remember that myself. Um, it's never really used as an excuse. It's certainly a reality. It just doesn't come up a lot. Most of our conversations revolve around NIL and um, how that affects us. I get asked all the time, how's NIL affect your world? How does NIL affect your world? Um, I guess the simplest answer is we're all fishing in the same barrel and we've got a finite number of donors and there's a new fishing pole in the barrel, but we all work together because if we don't have one, we don't have the other. So we, we need NIL to be successful and we work closely with the collective where we can. We have a great relationship with Walker and his team and um, we do what we can to help them be successful. But um, I think, Kind of what we all talk about in the industry is kind of the the, the word or phrase donor fatigue. Um, we're asking a lot from our donors, and we realize that, and it's uh, it's challenging because the needs are great on both sides. We're in a cap- capital campaign with a bunch of projects, and we're actually fundraising for that. And then the other fishing poles out there asking for NIL help, which uh, we definitely need as well, but. It's it's just like there's a new a new game in town, and we're all kind of figuring it out together because it changes every day. But um, as they always do, the Ole Miss donors step up. I mean, they're they're learning with us and they're adapting. And uh, some are supporting the collective, some are supporting OMAF, some are a lot are supporting both. But um, yeah, it's changing. It's it's certainly a challenge, but it's it's something we'll figure out and um, we'll be better for it. I guess empathy and understanding two things there with with donor fatigue and people who understand that they're being asked with a bunch of fishing poles, as you mentioned, that's a good analogy there with that. I mean, it's a a foundation. How do you sort of, you know, how do you respond to that? I mean, is it really just about understanding and figuring out what somebody can do? I mean, has it changed if the NIL world had not happened over the last 18 months? I mean, has it changed monetarily your goals for the for the year i mean if it changed what you what you hope to accomplish from your side of things yeah i mean we plan this year for our numbers to be a little bit less than last year because we knew that there would be uh an impact from nil um yes it definitely has changed how we look moving forward and you know what our capacity is because i said it's it's the same barrel of fish and um somebody else is now fishing in it but um when we think about it, fundraising has to, has to be kind of delicate and you have to kind of ebb and flow with the donors. And then some are being vocal and saying, hey, you know, getting hit from a lot of angles. Can you give me a little, little break? Some are shifting their focus and saying, hey, I, I'm only going to help NIL right now. We certainly understand that. Um, but from a goal perspective, you know, our campaign goal is still the same. But for the annual goal for this year, we lowered it a little bit because we knew that there would be an impact. How do you respond when somebody asks where to give? What should they do? 
Well, that that part's kind of easy. I mean, you always want somebody to give where they want to give. You know, sure, we yeah. I think okay, the, the cardinal yeah. sin. I mean, it sounds cliche, but the cardinal sin of fundraising is to try to get somebody to give money to what you want them to give to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the way for a conversation to die immediately. Um, but we do have people ask, you know, what should I help? And my response is always, like, what 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 interests you? What are you what are you feeling inclined to give to right now? And then we'll educate them on both. We'll explain to them how NIL works. And if they want to go that route, we'll connect them to the collective. And we do that a lot and say, you know, John Doe is interested in helping uh, with the Grove Collective and pass them along to William uh, William Evans and Walker, and they go from there. And it works vice versa. Uh, I always believe that when you help somebody give to what they want to give to, eventually it'll come back around to what you're aiming for them to give to. But I tell all of our fundraisers, don't ever try to push your agenda on somebody and what they're giving to, because that will end the relationship immediately. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated had a really good article earlier in the week about NILs and foundations and collectives and the the, the, the way that works. And I won't ask you to try to explain the old Miss side of that, but just in general, is there some frustration that there's not just, you know, a really clear rule on what the connections can be and can't be. And it seems like it's different at every school is, you know, again, you're competing, you know, to simply bring in as many donor relations and form great relationships. And hopefully that leads to monetary value and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you have to be looking around the league a little bit and going, wow, just because everything is so different depending on the school and these little either but frankly, minute structure differences or just people's willing to willingness to to play poker a little differently. Yeah, I think the frustration is comes with just the like you said, the different rules for everybody. It's not universal as far as how it all goes down. Um, you know that what Texas A and M is doing is um, something that we were looking at, just observing from a distance, but it's not something that that we're considering at this time. We'll obviously follow Keith's leadership on that and his decision-making. And I know he'll learn a lot at the SEC meetings this week and come back and relay to us. But, um, you know, right now the Grove Collective and the foundation are completely separate. Uh, we're 501c3 nonprofit. They're a for-profit. So there's a lot of issues with that as far as like collaborating and stuff. But um, there's no conversation right now about our collective coming in-house. Legally, what can you do? Simply just re- refer back and forth, and obviously mention it publicly. Yeah, I mean we we usually educate, communicate, but we don't facilitate. Um, yeah. We'll have a conversation. Somebody brings it up, and we'll just immediately text them or contact them and say, "Hey, this person's interested," and they take it from there. Um, but we do what we we partner with them a lot and help them the best we can. Um, but there is, at the end of the day, we have two different missions, but the both missions support one organization. You know, I have all these capital projects that we're building to fundraise for and uh, to fund. They have NIL needs that they're out working for. But together, if we don't have facilities, players don't come. If we don't have NIL, players, so I mean, you have to have both. So it's it's a it's. I think there's a lot of schools out there where the where the relationships aren't that great. Uh, I'd say ours is probably one of the best. We work closely with them and help them where we can and talk all the time. Uh, there's no competitive nature about one out to get the other. We're, we're definitely in, in lockstep with helping the best we can. 
Manning Center very close to completion over the course of the summer. Um, <clears throat> just in, in, in general, and maybe this is a Keith question, so if it is, refer it and I'll ask him. But facilities, what's wh- wh- where are things sort of, sit, sort of sitting on some of those things right now? Yeah, the Manning Center will be done July 15th. I mean, they are actively putting the final touches on that building right now, which is pretty amazing. The um, A lot of the namings are being put up, a lot of the real – kind of sizzle stuff, the lights and the logos and the um, graphics. They're, they've already started doing the prep work for the outside of the building. So, I mean, it is right at the finish line. and Could not speak higher of ICM and Casey Rogers and his team. They have absolutely nailed that project, and it's going to be something that all of the Ole Miss Athletics uh, donor base is excited for. Uh, this week we started demolition on the softball stadium. So that project is underway, and um, that will affect – they'll play next season on that field, but there will be construction going on around, and it will be completely finished for the season after that. Uh, we're in the in the kind of not the final stages, but we're st- still going through some concepts with baseball. Um, so hopefully we'll get to the finish line on that pretty soon and have some more information about that. Um, soccer – with the coaching transition, we're tabling that a little bit, not permanently, obviously, but just to let the new coach come in and give some feedback and see what her priorities are. Really excited about her. And then um, golf, that project is uh, underway. It's not underway currently, but the process is underway. And um, so we're fundraising for all of them, the Manning Center. We're about $54 million total of the 175. So, um, the Manning Center, we think it came in at 45.7. We fundraised all of that and commitments and cash. And then the next bucket after that, the seven or eight million is going to be applied towards softball, which is going to be around 32 million. And anyone could give to the general fund, obviously, or earmark to those specific projects. Is that the way that works? Yeah. I mean, I mean, any project, any Vault Society member, those those dollars go to those capital projects. Anyone that gives any amount towards uh, capital projects will be applied towards that. Um, yeah, any any support for the projects is is needed and wanted and much appreciated. We're three months to the day. We're recording this on Friday morning, June second, to the start of uh, football season, September second against Mercer. To this point, uh, I, I know we've been talking about renewals a good bit, sleep selection processes on the podcast for you guys. Um, season ticket wise, where do things kind of stand right now? Season tickets are going well. We're, we finished seat selection last week, which is always a three-week um, grind of sorts to get through and try to do the best we can to accommodate everyone in their request for new tickets or moving tickets. We're about 6,000 tickets ahead of where we were last year. Uh, we are completely sold out of premium areas. Um, last year was the first time ever that the South Club sold out. Um, so you hear all the time in college athletics that things are moving – to, to premium seating, we're we're completely out of premium seating. And, um, you know, it's an area we always focus on with all our venues is where can we add more premium. Um, but, you know, season tickets are going well. The almost fan base is always stepping up. Excited about Coach Kiffin and Coach Golding and the other additions they made and uh, excited for another season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To get into uh, an initiative you guys started earlier this year, the uh, the Empower, it's part of the Vault Society for uh, women's athletics in general. What was sort of the, the thought process behind that and kind of lead me through the concept a little bit? Yeah, so the Vault Society started in 2005. And the best of my knowledge, it's one of the original giving societies in college athletics. Um, surprisingly, not all schools have a major giving society. A lot still do their um, – additional fundraising through their annual fund and ticket priority. Um, you know, a good example would be Georgia starting the McGill Society after the Vault Society. You would think a school like Georgia would already have that, but they don't. But, you know, they've got like 1,500 members now. We're just over 600. But um, when we were just over the course of some meetings, we were talking about the, the changing landscape of college athletics and it's evolving, so we need to evolve as well. And the Vault Society has been around for a while. And we've started thinking about ways that we could evolve with college athletics, but also really thinking about are we capturing all of our possible donors? Um, and the answer to that question was no, we, we, we weren't. It was with some donors, the Vault Society, just no matter what we talked about, they, it is just stuck in their head that – it was only for football, basketball, and baseball or, or whatever. So Matt McLaughlin, our chief development officer, had has had this idea for a while that to start a major giving program for women's athletics. Um, and then over the course of some meetings and some time, we launched Empower, which is the first ever SEC major giving program for women's athletics. Um, and so money that goes to Empower goes to fund those women's athletics capital projects like softball, soccer, golf, or if a sport has a really specific need that's outside of the campaign, we'll we'll talk to donors to see if we can fundraise for that with the amounts being smaller. An example of that is the new TerraFlex court for the volleyball team. Um, it was a big priority for uh, Coach Henry, Coach Bree, and um, we had some people really interested in wanting to help her, so we got that funded, and they're getting that court, and it's going to be a difference maker for her in the program. But that led us to really look at the Vault Society holistically. And then so we thought about what else we were missing. So coming from the academic side, estate giving is a big part of fundraising, but athletics, it just was never a part of it. Um, so so we started looking at plan giving on how that could help almost athletics. We started a program called Forever Ole Miss, which is an estate giving program that entices people to give to almost athletics through their estates. Ironically, when we started doing that, we had a, a life insurance gift that came in that we didn't know about for $1.3 million. So the idea with plan giving is that you, you plan for the future with these estate gifts. And in the future, if you do it right, 
almost annually, you have these estate gifts coming in, these big windfalls that help you, you know, fund specific projects or go to the capital campaign. So we've had great success with that. We've already had three people become members of Forever Ole Miss. Those three gifts total 2.5 million. That will be great gifts for Ole Miss athletics down the future. Hopefully I'm still here when they come. If not, the people in charge will be proud. Empower has already had 15 commitments. We had our 15th commitment yesterday. Um, we've always worked with gifts in kind, um, but we have a, a really cool gift in kind that happened this year with Gentile. They're doing a big gift in kind for us where the Vault Society apparel for this year will be custom items from Gentile. So that's a big help for us because that's a big budget item for Vault Society stewardship that comes out. And it's a great new partner with Blake Dubinsky and his team at Gentile, which have uh, amazing apparel that most of our fans probably know about. And then we also, with as the world changed in athletics with the transfer portal, we have a great need for airplane usage. We have two airplanes that we use a lot, but we also use donor planes. And so we create a program called Air Revs that would entice donors to let us use their airplanes for our, our coaches when the university planes aren't available. And we have probably about a dozen partnerships that we have right now with donors of letting us use their airplanes. Uh, and it's a massive help to all of our coaches in recruiting. So long story short, the Vault Society is now the big umbrella with kind of four subsets. Uh, Empower, Air Revs, Gifting Kind, and then still just Major Giving, which is kind of the standard Vault Society. Um, all of those programs fall under the stewardship of Vault Society. And then Forever Ole Miss is different because it's a state giving and not cash, so it's outside of the umbrella. But long story short, we just want to make sure we're capturing all of our donors, um, diversifying our donor base, expanding our donor base, making sure there's programs that everybody can give to that make an impact to Ole Miss athletics. And then that's helping us um, change with the world as things like NIL come into play. So uh, we have, we've got a lot of exciting feedback from a lot of these programs and um, a lot of the people in the industry have been reaching out to us to learn what we're doing and how they can mimic it. So whether it's any of these subsets empower, you talk about air revs, these things, those, from a donor benefit standpoint, they still are very standard across the benefits that would come from simply being a Vault Society member? Yes. I mean, priority points, access, things of that nature. The The stewardship page is listed at the givetoathletics.com website. I did forget one important piece of forever Ole Miss. When, when someone passes away, they cannot transfer their priority points to a descendant. However, with Forever Ole Miss, if someone leaves an estate gift to Ole Miss Athletics, you can designate priority points off of that estate gift, which is an enormous benefit as people go through their life and then their estates realize they can make a big impact on their descendants as far as priority points for bowl selection and tickets and parking and things of that nature based off of the estate gift. Um, it's That's a really big benefit that a lot of schools don't don't use but um as we go through the conversations with people that get upset or frustrated that they can't pass down their priority points this is an alternative that can kind of help in that way and where do people find information on all these things give all the website this, phone numbers all again. this is on our website give to athletics.com uh and that is two is in two no yeah no yeah yeah yeah, yeah, two. Sorry, yeah. not the number. Yeah. 
<laughs> just making sure that yeah i mean it's one of those deals where y'all have a very like that was that it, you know give to athletics is such like this generic big thing to go straight to Ole Miss I'm sure you you, you grab some extra impressions off that but you know, just uh just verify yeah I uh when I came over to OMAF <clears throat> I, I had that question I was like it's too generic but I've since learned that it's extremely valuable and unique and that has helped um help attract people to our, our our fan base is is used to it and goes to it um I have never had anybody tell me otherwise but um I agree with you. When I first got over, I was like, that's too generic. You know, I used to mess with Keith a little bit when he first got hired as he went like straight into the pandemic and it was all this crazy stuff immediately and there was no honeymoon period. I mean, it's not the same thing, but in some ways, I guess you're around 10 months or so from uh, assuming the post there at the head of the foundation. What's it sort of been like? I mean, you're watching this transition too with NIL and all these things. I mean, I I guess you had some idea what was coming, but has it – to what extent been what you expected when you took over? Well, I mean, truth be told, I mean, like I've told people in the past, this is my dream job. This is the job that I've always wanted. So I feel fortunate every day to be in this position. And as an almost person, I just can't express how much this job means to me personally. Um, I, 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 to this day, I still, you know, it, it still gets to me sometimes that, uh, I, I wanted this job when I was in college, and here I am sitting in it. So when I moved to athletics in September of 20, it was in the middle of COVID. Uh, that first football, my first football season working athletics was 25% stadiums and mm. all that stuff. Um, and then moving into this job in August, uh, you said 10 months. I didn't even thought about that. I was getting close to a year. Um, yeah, it's it's. It is totally different. People are asking me all the time, "What is, how has NIL changed or your your perception of the job?" And I tell people like the job that I have and then this job five years ago totally different. Um, I mean, think of like like when I talk about us partnering with the collective and helping the collective. I mean, sometimes in a way you could relate that to being like a sales rep and taking your clients and directing them to your competitor, but they're not a competitor, mm-hmm. not, but you know, in a, in an easy way, that could be what it looks like when we help the collective that doesn't help our number, but it helps collectively with the overall what we're doing. So I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way because we help all the time and we get it. Like we know that it's important. Um, but yeah, there's certain factors that aren't inside our office that we have to work on and care about and help and, um, consider when we're fundraising and because like when I tell people the barrel of fish analogy, you know, we have 140,000 alumni and A&M has 500, it's 360,000 more fish, you know, um, I, I would, I feel confident saying they aren't taxing their people as much as we are because they just have more people. But um, say it a million times, our fan base always steps up always rises to the occasion and they are right now. Um, our collective is probably one of the healthiest in the country. So uh, that's a testament to our donors and adapting to this landscape. I know that football's up first, but just uh, talking to fans, being around it and whatnot, I mean, I, I can feel it from what I do every day. What's it sort of been like with the energy around men's basketball as we do closing on the first season with Chris Beard? It's been awesome. Um, it's it's uh, There's so much excitement. I mean – Coach Beard and his staff, 
man, do they work. I mean, they recruit and they recruit and they recruit. Um, it's funny. I tell, you know, when I was in college, 98 to 02, almost basketball was, was my life. Like it, I was, could not have been a bigger basketball fan and uh, just excited to see our fan base excited. Um, recruiting is going really well. Um, we've had coach Beard at some donor events. He's been outstanding. He's, He's so passionate and intense and our people will pick up on it and they're just really excited. Um, I think the pavilion is going to be rocking this year. So again, one more time, phone number, website, where can uh, people go for all these different initiatives? Yeah. Give to athletics.com. The phone number is 662-915-7159. And uh, as always, just want to thank all of our fans and donors for all they do for us, uh, both at the OMAF and with the Grove Collective. Without them, we could not do what we're doing. We appreciate it so much. I appreciate it, bud. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, Chase. Podcast brought to you in part by Prime Shrimp. PrimeShrimp.com. Seven different flavors available for you. Everything from a couple of my favorites, New Orleans-style barbecue, to the uh, signature. They make great uh, great lunches, put them on salads, eat them by themselves for a good snack, or let them help with dinner tonight. they got the full meals and a bag options. They've got the Simply Shrimp that you can uh, season yourself and much more. So use code RG, buy five pouches or more. When you do that, you get 25% off there with Prime Shrimp. That's primeshrimp.com, code RG for 25% off. Remember, if you're close to Arouse's, they're available in all those brick-and-mortar locations as well. So primeshrimp.com. Oxford's uh, new Greek restaurant on the square. Opa is a perfect place for you to enjoy an evening fabulous food, craft libations. Uh, It's also a great place for a uh, company dinner or a festive party event. So just get in touch with the people at OPA at 601-421-7147. We're brought to you by Service Specialist Staffing and Recruiting Agency, connecting great job opportunities to candidates since 1967. If you're on the job hunt, whether you're seeking an entry-level position or you're a seasoned professional, they have opportunities across the board in all sorts of fields. Um, Service Specialist's goal is to get to know you, you should find out your strengths, see what you're looking for in your next career move so that you can find the right fit. It's always free for the candidate, so give uh, Will, Sydney, or Kelsey a call at 662-832-5138 or check out their new and improved website, servicespecialistltd.com. Get the beautiful and healthy smile you deserve at Corinth Dental. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile. Uh from routine checkups to advanced treatment, including implants and Invisalign, Corinth Dental is here to help you achieve your smile goals. Schedule your appointment today. Take the first step toward a better version of yourself. It's CorinthDental.com. And are you a, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Southern Traditions Farm is a 68-acre, 32-stall upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi. Two sand rings, a grass ring, miles of wooded trails, uh, there's a lot to be offered at Southern Traditions, including horseback riding offerings from beginner lessons with uh, Susan Walt to buying your first horse, competing at nationally recognized competitions. To learn more, to get in touch with them on Facebook or Instagram at Southern Traditions Farm. Thanks to Vincent for uh, his time today. We recorded that uh, the end of last week, but nothing caught on fire between then and now, so it's timely. All uh all good there. So again, uh, thanks to him for uh, that half hour or so of uh, discussion about where Ole Miss is with again facilities, some donor relations, some NIL, some Grove Collective stuff in there as well. So a lot of stuff for you. And uh, another in guy, that, 
another guy who's who when he took that job, the job is completely different than what <laughs> what Denson probably thought that job was going to be. Yeah, oh, you know, just come in, raise the money, build some stadiums. It's all good. Been there, done that. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah not, not so much. And <laughs> really, no way to train for it either. I mean, there was no way to get mentally prepared for where everything has gone to this point. I mean, no. him, Walker Jones, people in those roles. It's it's just not what you, it's not what you signed up for, yeah. but it's. It's the landscape. I, I noticed this this morning. Uh, the Athletic did some college football quarterback tiers. I think this conversation started um, on the Audible, which is a, uh, a podcast that Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel do together. They're from the Athletic. And that turned into this uh, written content item that you can find there on the Athletic. But a lot of tiers, a lot of quarterbacks. And I found Ole Miss's – interesting but more in a way of i think what happened to their team coming down the stretch last year and going through this so i'll, I'll do this fast um not all the tiers are even so jackson dart is in the fifth tier of quarterbacks um for college football but as i as i read these to you guys uh the first tier is no one but caleb williams he is mm-hmm. in a tier by himself and then the second tier is only drake may at north carolina and michael Penix jr at washington that's it. Um, so through the first two tiers, you're talking about just three quarterbacks. Penix is the uh, former Indiana quarterback that was injured when Ole Miss played them in the Outback Bowl a few years ago um, during the uh, the COVID season, and then he transferred to Washington. and Been pretty good there since uh, becoming Husky. really, really good. Yeah, it's it's these next tiers that I find kind of fascinating. Again, all the way down through the fifth tier, which is where uh, which is where Dart finds himself. So third tier. Uh, Jaden Daniels, LSU, Frank Harris, UTSA. It was the quarterback for uh, the Franklin kid that just transferred to Ole Miss. KJ Jefferson, Arkansas. Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina. JJ McCarthy, Michigan. Bo Nix, Oregon. Michael Pratt, Tulane. Devin Leary, Kentucky. So it's a weird list to me. It is quarterbacks who have had some success, but then also some projects. Like I, I don't necessarily understand that tier in and of itself. Having Devin Leary and Jaden Daniels in the same tier makes no sense. And frankly, Grayson McCall, if we're just talking about stats and what they've brought to their team over the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm, 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 this is the first time I've looked at it. Um, and again, this is summer reading material. I get it, it means nothing. And I have a point with Dart when I get to him, but we're just not to him yet. I'm all in on Daniels. I don't know yeah, enough sure. about Harris to have a, an observation. Um. <sighs> I hate saying this because people get mad, but I, I think Jefferson's underrated. Uh, when you he is, at, he is a very good college quarterback. Um, I'm with you on McCall. I think McCarthy's a really good quarterback. I think Nix is a very, very good college quarterback. Had a good year last year at Oregon. Uh, I, I'm I'm big on Pratt. I, I think he was terrific a year ago. I, I I don't know how Devin Leary made this made this. Yeah, spot. Leary is the one that makes no sense in this list. Yeah, I I, I can kind of get you everywhere else. I don't have any problem. Again, I don't know enough about Harris. I, I didn't watch them play. There will, be, there will be people that push back on Knicks, and there will be people that push back on Jefferson. And I don't have a problem with either one. They 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 both are really good college quarterbacks. Who look at their numbers? They're they're they're. Knicks was really good at Oregon last year. Yeah, tier and, four. 
this now the article points out about Jefferson. I mean, he was a top ten rated passer and a six hundred plus yard rusher last year. I mean, that's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Tier four: Sam Hartman, Notre Dame now, formerly Wake Forest. Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma, formerly UCF. Tanner Mordecai, Wisconsin. Cam Rising, uh, Utah. Jalen Daniels, Kansas. Uh, Talia Tagabalova at Maryland. And Jordan Travis at Florida State in Tier 4. A couple think- of these guys I liked way more than the other ones. I don't see how Sam Hartman and Tanner Mordecai end up in the same tier. Yeah, I would put Hartman up in Tier 3. I would, too. Um and look, Jalen Daniels, when he's healthy, was was a beast. He had a great season at Kansas. Um, but but yeah, I mean, okay, I'm I'm not I'm not big on Mordecai at all. And Dylan Gabriel had his moments. And you, if you told me by the end of the season he's a tier three or even a tier two quarterback, I'm, I might actually buy it. And the two sentences of tier five um, that I'll point out. Feldman said they're probably more wow quarterbacks in this group than in Tier 3 and Tier 4 combined. And Mandel said the common theme here is big names who have been inconsistent. You want to see if guys can move up multiple tiers with a season this year. Because it is. There are names all on this list for Tier 5. Quinn Ewers, Texas. Will Howard, Kansas State. Joe Milton at Tennessee. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Uh, Will Rogers at State, Keaton Slowis at BYU. Um, he includes Peyton Thorne from Auburn in this list, which makes no sense at all. There should, these, this should be two different tiers. Uh, Ugalele at Oregon State, formerly of Clemson. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Cam Ward at Washington State. This, this is I have a couple of flaws with this list in general, and again, he, they serve the purpose because we're talking about it. That's all that really mattered here for the summer on June the 6th. But – a tier in and of itself should be Rattler, Dart, Ewers, maybe Milton, and Keaton Slovis, the big names who went to other programs or did things that are trying to take that step. Because Dart is, is stuck in this class for a couple different reasons. Number one, I think, because he's not a, he's not publicly the starting quarterback for this next season. You don't know what that's looking like. You've got all the Spencer Sanders stuff. And then two – Ole Miss started so hot and was so bad down the stretch. If Ole Miss wins two more games, he's not in this fifth tier right here because Jackson Dart was not a bad quarterback last year. It's it's that the expectations on some of these names did not pan out, I think, even team-wise, and that's what's caused a lot of this movement down this tier, the way they're perceived nationally at this point, which is more the point. It's not the list. It's just kind of how the nation views this situation. I just thought of this. Feel free to tell me that no, I'm I'm reaching doing mental gymnastics on June the sixth because as okay. as I as I even get ready to formulate the words, there's a part one of the little guys on my shoulders going, "You're an idiot." Is there anything to read into this that Bruce Feldman, who knows Kiffin, puts uh, Dart in the fifth thing because maybe Bruce is hedging his bets a little. And I realize that's a, a I, I might be stretching like stretch Armstrong here. I, I totally admit it. I'm just wondering out loud. I mean, frankly, though, you could have, if you were really hedging your bets, and I mean, because it's your list, you can do whatever the hell you want to with it. You could have yeah. put Dart slash Sanders in the same tier, and they both are kind of the same situation. Oh, you could have names who are trying to, yeah, trying to make a move. I mean, the bigger thing to me, if I'm reading into it, it's that he lists Dar as the guy. That's true. That's true. 
Because I mean, I, I don't thought, know. I mean, I, I thought think Jackson had a pretty Dart, good year. I did too. I, can't I thought Jackson Dart was good last these year. Other guys. I thought Dart was good last year. I, I look. I don't think they're giving Will Rogers enough respect. Jackson Dart is worlds better than Tyler Van Dyke. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this good list. Grief. Ewers has Ewers has yet to prove himself. Some of that was injury last year. Sure. Um. Will Howard. Milton at Tennessee has a huge arm, but we'll see what it looks like in a full season. Milton at Tennessee looked really good in the bowl game, but that was one game. Uh, Rattler, and they point this out, finished the season really strong, but he did not look good early, middle part of the year. I don't know anything about uh, Jaden DeLara at, at Arizona. Um, I really don't know a lot about Riley Leonard at Duke. Rodgers was a system quarterback. He was very good in that system. Um, Keaton Slovis I think Dart's better than Slovis. Dart's better than Thorne. Uh, DJ was just awful at Clemson. And I realize he's got a big arm and there's a lot of talent there and he's got a big name, but... He lost his job. Tyler Van Dyke might have been one of the most disappointing players in all of college football. And Cam Ward did some nice things. Another big, big arm guy. Also I mean, notable that while this I, is I the would final put, tier, there's guys they just didn't list at all. Yeah, they didn't list uh, Connor Wagman. Yeah. Or uh, Sanders at Colorado. Yeah. I would have put Jackson in tier four. It's just me. I, I'm higher on Jackson Dart than a lot of other people, I guess. I, I, I thought he was really good last year. Yeah, I just think I think he's better than Dylan Gabriel. And again, I think Hartman should be way higher. He's a good quarterback yeah. at Wake last year. Yeah, I thought he was really good at Wake a year ago. I mean, it's a lot of what it's a lot what you and I have been talking about with whether Vanderbilt has a chance in that game. I mean, I don't know if they do or don't, but I mean it's just a different team without Sam Hartman at quarterback. And they point out that Hartman and Travis, Jordan Travis from Florida State, merited consideration for tier three. I actually think both of them belong in tier three. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Thought process. You know what else is interesting is there's no Alabama quarterback listed on here. There's not. And no that's George my point. If if, no, if the Sanders no thing really made Feldman wonder, just don't include him. No Georgia quarterback. Mm-hmm. Who is Bama starting? I mean, I think it's the kid that came over from Notre Dame. Talk about a letdown for Ty Simpson. You know, and unlike Georgia, who is so freaking talented everywhere that you can almost go, I don't it doesn't really matter. Just put somebody in at quarterback who can be serviceable and they'll probably get it done. Alabama didn't we saw Alabama in early November in Oxford. And don't get me wrong, they're really talented and they're Alabama, but they're not Alabama four or five years ago. No. I mean, they they were not they were not that talented. They don't have a monopoly anymore. I've about talked myself into picking LSU in the West. Because Daniels is damn good. And they've got they've got they've got people everywhere. They're gonna be good up front. They've got receivers, guys in the backfield, maybe the best defensive player in the league. 
I'm about to talk myself into them. So buy or sell, you would buy that over the course of his tenure, Brian Kelly will win a national title at LSU? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very, very hard to win a national title. And starting next year, it's going to be even harder because you got to win three playoff games. But Three, three straight coaches have done it at LSU. But yeah, I, I, if you made me bet yes or no, I'd bet yes. Okay. Would you? I think I just have this huge Georgia thing poking me, and you have to get by them to do it. Um, yeah, sure. So, Because if, if you told me to bet LSU or Ohio State, I would bet Ohio State because they don't have to win the SEC. Yeah. I see that. You know, if you said, hey, Ryan Day or Brian Kelly is going to win a national title, which one is it? What if I, I told I you it was Brian, what if I told you it was USC or LSU? Ooh. I'm not convinced that USC is I mean, look, I mean, they obviously can do it, but he's gonna have to prove to me he can put a defense on the field. Yeah. I mean, he just lost I mean, I love my wave and all, but he just got beat by two lines in a bowl game. He did. With the Heisman winning quarterback. Yeah. I mean, Brian Kelly, you know. Brian Kelly's gonna put a defense on the field. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, game two NBA tomorrow night. Today another day off. Seven thirty from Miami. From game three, sorry, not game two. Yeah. One one in that series. Game three, the uh, Knights went up with a route of Florida to go up two zero in that series last night. Seven two final there. Vegas over uh, Florida. They have they have made Florida look like an eight seed. There are two games here in this uh, in this thing. They have looked really good. Yeah, they, I know very little about the NHL, but I know that Vegas has looked much better than Miami or Florida. Yeah. Whatever you want to make of that. Um, let's see, I had one more thing. Where was that? No, I've uh, lost it. See where the Rangers had like one of the top six run differentials in like Major League Baseball history through how many ever games? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, I flashed across something on my screen the other day. I, I, I need to start catching up with Major League Baseball. I've I've been so. I've watched so much of the NBA. I've been so consumed with the NBA draft because I, I just catch myself being really interested in the NBA draft. And then I watched a lot of college baseball. I watched so much more college baseball this year than I did even last year when I felt like I'd watched a ton of it. I don't really know why. I guess it kind of sucked me in a little bit. Don't go to the MLB page on ESPN right now because you'll probably get some uh... – some distress. Uh, they are highlighting that at eight thirty-eight tonight, the uh, the Cubs and Angels play, yeah. and the headline is: uh, "It looks like a fastball, and then it's just gone." How Shohei Otani has gotten better, yes, better as a pitcher. So that is your uh, front uh, of, of that this morning. I would literally just hand him a contract, fill it out. <laughs> what do you What do you want? <laughs> Uh, the Rangers are 39 and 20 on the season, and their run differential is plus 153. Oh, yeah. what do you think would happen if you just walked up to Boris and goes, Here, Here's the contract, do with it as you will, fill it in. Now, you got to sleep at night, so just keep that aware. I, but understand, I mean, you're, you're, shaping, you're shaping the industry, and you could go overboard and, and do damage, but fill it out 12 years. 12 years. <laughs> Can't give him 12 years. I, I think I would. It would pay for itself. It would pay for itself five times over. 
He's going to suck like the last seven years. It wouldn't. It might not matter because you. If he's as good as people think he is, and I think he is, and everybody else thinks he is, he's going to do this for at least seven, eight years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, do you, do you realize what what Shohei Otani? Not even just the Cubs, just the Braves, the Phillies, the Mets. What Shohei Otani would do for a baseball team for their promotions yeah sales beyond what he would do on the field 12 years I would what's he 27 28 yeah sure yeah the end of it'll be bad but the end of a lot of deals are bad so where would you put your money Dodgers yeah I'd, I'd I'd bet on the Dodgers. I'd bet heavily on the Dodgers. There's way way the Dodgers have the most to lose in not getting. Well, and they appear to be the team that has set up to do it. Um, now, okay. you know they've they've got a lot of other people they've got to pay, and they could hamstring themselves a little. He's already established in that market, but it sounds like that's where it's all headed. I'm I'm eager. That there's two or three people on the Cubs beat that I think over the next three days will dive into it. I'm I'm curious to see what they say. They're, 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 and they they're pretty dialed in with the front office. It seems like on the things that they write. I'm 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 curious because the Cubs are like six. I think they lost last night. They're six under five and a half back. If you watch their games at home, they're not. It's not as full as it was a few years ago. It's still pretty full and still a fun place to go to a baseball game and all that stuff. But the face of their franchise right now is Dansby Swanson, who's a good player. He's had a really good year. Deserves to be the all-star in the National League. But. Yeah. That's a big but. It is. You know, when you you look around, you look around baseball. The, the, you should, you should, you know, like in in St. Louis, there's, there's, they've got Arenado, they've got Goldschmidt, in 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 Philadelphia, they've got Bryce Harper and Trey Turner. Although Trey Turner's really struggling, uh, in in New York, you've got Aaron Judge, and you know the Mets have have big names. Dan Swanson wasn't one of the top faces of the Braves. No, that's Atlanta, not Chicago. And he's had a great year. I'm not minimizing him at all. He's he's been terrific for the Cubs. Been yeah, one sure. of the real bright spots for them, but man, I just I don't know how. And I realized I'm a fan, and so I'm I'm emotional about it. So I acknowledge that. I, but I, I also try to try to try to be pragmatic. And a few years ago, when I mean, it was my son who asked Theo Epstein about Bryce Harper. As he did it, I thought, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense right now. This makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's common sense that you would just overpay. Well, somebody's going to overpay. That's not the question. Just who? Um, I, I, I who and how much? He's looking at a minimum of fifty million a year. Yeah. God, with his endorsements and everything else, that cat can just write in whatever number for the AAV he would like overall. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Well, and you know, <sighs> the Angels are the secondary team in that market, and they're in Anaheim. Oh, sure. They're not in Los Angeles. You've got to drive forty minutes. And it's actually not 40 minutes. It's in traffic. It's two hours to Anaheim 
to go to an Angels game, and then you got to go back to wherever. I mean, you know, if you put him in Dodger Stadium, he's he's a much bigger, higher profile organization. But I've said this so many times, I'm being repetitive. If I'm Major League Baseball, I really want him in the Eastern or Central time zones. Yeah, yeah, the West Coast kills it from that standpoint. Uh, last thing, you're just worried about watching history and dynasties and whatnot. Uh, Oklahoma softball won their 51st straight game last night or, just, or yesterday. They're extending their, uh, their all-time record on that. They're trying to win their third straight national championship. They uh, they beat Stanford in extra innings. Stanford played really a hell of a softball game yesterday. I've watched a decent amount of that before I went and met with Mike. Uh, it was it was I, well I can't played. Remember, I can't remember where I read this yesterday, but there was a really good story about college softball, and it was interesting. It said two things are happening at once. One, one program, Oklahoma, is dynastic. And at the same time, there I, are, I saw this too. There are many more programs that are investing and starting to get players and becoming more competitive, that there's a lot more parity than than there was just a short time ago. There's a lot more parity now. And yet at the same time, Oklahoma is still dominating. But I mean, you know, we're talking about individual games, which are way too small of a sample size. But, you know, last year, Oklahoma, if I remember correctly, just kind of steamrolled. Mm-hmm. And this year, people are playing them closer, and they're still a great team. As much as you can do with 57 and one, but yes, I know what you mean. But they get everybody's Um, very best shot. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they're that's a TV. It's the interesting thing for all of the stuff about college baseball and whatever that network people love softball, love it. They just love it. Small field, two hours moves. So many reasons. It's good. I think, it's good you TV can, I, think, I think you can shoot it with fewer cameras. Mm-hmm. Just it's it's an easier production. Um, they play Florida State in the final. I think Florida State's fifty-seven and nine or something. Um, incredibly good. Seminoles eliminated Tennessee yesterday to uh, to reach the final. Florida State has a national title in the last five or six years. They've been in the final several years, maybe even in a row or in in, in a certain whatever. I don't know. Uh, so Florida State, Oklahoma, in the uh, college softball final there, and I mean it also helps Oklahoma. They're kind of in the mecca in the country for softball there in Oklahoma City, where the College World Series is at. Uh, so anyway, there is uh, there's that. But yeah, they won in nine innings yesterday. I watched Stanford kind of get out of a jam. Oklahoma had gotten two on with nobody out in a two-two game in like the sixth. They play seven innings for anybody who hasn't watched at all. And uh, they got out of that and ended up in extras before uh, before losing. So, well, you know, and maybe this is something we talk about later in the week. It's kind of what college football has been. We are pretty clear who's going to win the national title, but then it's sort of all up in the air from there. I mean, it's it's what's allowed college football to, to, to prosper is even though we don't have any kind of parity at all when it comes to national titles, we absolutely did do down the chain where you don't know if a team's going to go six and six or nine and three or ten and two. Same thing. Yeah, it is. It's It's very much the same thing. It's it's one of the interesting it's it's kind of what's interesting about this college football season coming up is that in a in a little way this is going to be sort of nostalgic and in the in another way it's gonna be like, hey, let's get this year over with so we can get to the new stuff and see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in a twelve team playoff, the whole regular season's completely different. It is 
and I get it, it's because of the 12 team playoff. So I don't have a problem in expansion and all that, but it's the only thing that's going to make me not really, really, really miss the West and East in the SEC is the fact that we can talk about the top 12. So it gives us a different point of reference for tenants, if you yeah. will, yeah. as you move totally, through the season. Totally different. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks to Vincent Hollis for his time today on the show. Uh, good stuff there. So thanks to, uh, to him. We'll talk to you again very, very soon.